So right off the bat here, right? The art and value of the heirloom, uh, the heirloom seed of spiritual warfare. Thank you, Joshua. You're welcome. So um, what we have here is this. You know, there's a lot of people here of different backgrounds in faith. And those of you who like have a lot of knowledge in spiritual warfare and you've learned and you've gone to the conferences and you've done all that kind of stuff, awesome. Uh, I would just say, you know, today is like one of those kind of like broader church teachings to try to get everyone on the same page, if you will. Because a lot of people that are like, spiritual warfare, what's that? Okay. Uh, but, you know, as I was even talking uh, this week, right, we were saying like the importance of trying to hit different levels of people in faith, right? People that are new, people that are seasoned, and give them all something to chew on. And so spiritual warfare as a topic is a very, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot we can teach on. I mean, there's conferences devoted to the entire topic. And so today is really supposed to be a, a generally a primer in understanding what's going on. For some people, this is very new, okay? Uh, and this is really coming out because my experience has been since uh, like the 90s, I, I, I've seen uh, that the notion of spiritual warfare has in some regards taken a back seat, okay? Not in all circles, but in, in a fair amount of circles. And so I remember my teenage years, you know, we would be worshiping to uh, Morningstar down in the Carolinas, you know, albums entitled Warfare, right? Uh, and this is like praise and worship where like you are like banging the drums, you are shouting, you are declaring the word of the Lord, and you are taking back the land, right? Uh, and so that, that had its time, a lot of people were like were into it in some circles, uh, and then th there seemed to be this movement where I, you know, I kind of jokingly say now we have like coffee house worship, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with coffee house worship or soaking kind of worship. Uh, there's a part and a place for that. Amen. The whole purpose of our heirloom seeds is don't forget the good things of the past. Amen. And so I even talked to the worship team, like, yeah, well, let's get some like let's get some warfare songs going again. And it's like, well, there aren't really any. If like go back into the files, back into the 90s of like that praise. Like, dun, 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 dun. You know, that or we have to go to a black church, which is awesome. You know, they got that praise going on. We need to, like, just, I want to bring that back into the church again. Praise God. I really do. And it's nothing against the worship team. They're, they're incredible. They're incredible. But the, the energy right now in, in a lot of worship is, is more soaking, more a little like reflective. Um, and that's good. That's important. But so is praise. And so is fire. And so is we're going to battle. Right? Uh, and so that's what we have going on here. And so in the 90s, this was like, Hardcore. I mean, I cut my teeth on this, you know, like all my prayer watches were just like drum circles. We're just doing drum circles in the spirit for like, you know, a couple hours. Um, and it was just fire. And so I want to give a little bit of a, a biblical understanding of, uh, of what's going on here. So I hope you have the Bibles with you. If not, you're going to want to open one up or get on your device or just take good notes. Because I'm going to go through a decent amount of, of scriptures because I think... You know, for some of us, right, what are we talking about? Is Dave like a weirdo? So we've got to give a proof text to things, right? And so we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures. And so the first scripture is probably the most famous scripture of today. And that's going to be Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God. And this is like what you learn in vacation Bible school, right? Amen. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want to say this again. We do not wrestle against f flesh and blood. That includes viruses. Okay? But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All right. We have a war that is going on. It's not a physical war, but it's a war in the spirit. Okay? It's very clear in Scripture. It's a war not against people. It's not a war against things. It's a war in the spirit against literally principalities. So we have to understand what a principality is, don't we? We'll get to that later. And the enemy of our soul. All right. So that's kind of the context for a lot of this. And uh, some other things here. Who here believes in Jesus? Let me raise your hand. Believe in Jesus. Jesus is Lord of your life. Amen. I'm going to be honest, that's a problem if everyone in the church raises their hand. Right? That's a problem. What? Yeah, because you would be bringing people that are lost into the church. I mean, what was the last time we could say, this? is there anyone here that does not believe in Jesus? I don't know, when was that? I don't ask every week, but you want people to come in the church that do not believe in Jesus. Amen? Come on, right? Wow, you guys kind of give me these weird looks at that. <laughs> Sorry, if that offended you, holy cow, we got a lot. All right. My mission going out. All right. All right. We believe in Jesus. That is good. That is awesome. That is life-giving. And now hear me out before you, before you judge. We believe in Jesus, but uh, I think and I believe that some of us need to believe in Satan. Satan again. He's real. And it's not just that he's just real. He's on a mission. Amen. We forgot that. First Peter chapter 5. Be sober. Be vigilant. Amen. That's like active. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking Devour. Whoa, we are not just at a war, like, oh, we're in this spiritual warfare. We're at a war of spirit where the enemy of the souls, the fallen one, Lucifer, is going around like a lion seeking who he can destroy. And I think in the church, we need to remember. Dare I say, quote unquote, believe in again a guy, an angel, an angel of light, whose name is Satan or Hasatan. So Satan comes from the Hebrew Hasatan, which means the adversary, the one who's against the things of God. So we got to believe in this again. Now, this is pretty interesting back in the day, because these are all Arabic seeds, right? Back in the day, there was an interesting song. I don't know if I would quite call it a worship song. It was a song by Keith Green where this is really bizarre. He takes on the voice or the tone of Satan. Well, now I, Satan, used to have to sneak around. 
But now they just open their doors. You know, no one watches for my tricks. Since no one believes in me anymore, well, I'm gaining power by the hour of falling by the score. You know, it's getting very easy now since no one believes in me anymore. No one believes in me anymore. That's an interesting title and song to be on a Christian worship album. It's a notion of the point of view of Satan. It's like, eh, right? All right. So look, guys, the reality here is this. I mean, we, we all know, and this is a very important thing, that the war has been won. Amen? Right there should be like, oh, cool, the war is won. The war has been won by Jesus. But if you think that you are not in a daily battle against flesh and the spirit, against the adversary and God, because everything seems to be fine in your life. I'm telling you right now, you have been lulled to sleep. Amen. You've been completely lulled to sleep. If you do not think that there's an actual spiritual battle going on. Now the war has been won. But the battles are still going on. It's a very important topic. A very important thing. So yeah, it's spiritual battles. Come on, guys. I mean, you're saved. We're new creations. But I don't know about you. Does anyone else ever like struggle with anything? It's like, well, if everything's been won and there's no spiritual warfare, it's like, well, I guess we would never struggle with anything then. Yeah, really. I mean, daily, Paul says, right, to pick up your cross. Like, daily, you have to make the decision of crucifying the flesh. It's not like you just do it once and it's all over. Amen. Daily, right? Daily, daily. But at the same time, obviously, right, the war has been won, but there are battles that are still going on. And there's a lot of wars that work like that. Like World War II, the battle ended, and I'm sure the war ended, but yet there were still battles that were going on. Because right. some people didn't know that the war was won. That's right. Something in the spirit right there. Don't miss that. Yeah. A lot of people are warring, surrendering themselves to the wiles of the devil because you don't really realize that the war has been won already. Or, you know, if you're not buying into that, you know, the, the, the wrestle between flesh, the carnal mind, the wrestling against the spirit, and vice versa. Um, let's just take a look at this. Just look at our communities. Like, if the full victory has been won on earth, I'll be like, there's not much of a victory out there. There's poverty, there's prostitution, there's drugs, there's crime, there's homicide, there's breaking up of marriages. There's like, it's like, what, what's going on? Because the war has been won, but there's still battles. I, I hope that makes sense. Look, all this is not to scare you. It's to sober you up. Because First Peter says, be sober. Like, be grounded in your understanding that this is a reality. Um, I think for some of us, not all of us, but uh, there's different types of people, right? Uh, some of us, we tend to see our problems and struggles in non-spiritual terms. And because of that, we tend to seek non-spiritual solutions to things. Now, there's also other people that, I've got to be honest, really kind of drive me nuts, that they see like a devil around every corner. They're like, no, I just slept on my bed wrong. That's why my back is out. No, it's a devil. No, I think I just probably need to buy a new mattress, actually. Yeah, I've been really, really tired lately. I think it's a demonic attack. No, I think you just like maybe need to get better sleep and eat better. 
right? So there's like I'm not I'm not I'm on off the bat. I'm not like there's a you know there's a demon in my alphabet soup kind of person, right? Like that drives me nuts because a lot of things that you think is the devil is actually your failure to take responsibility. So that's one type of person. The other type of person is like, oh, forget, you know, whatever, uh, not even paying attention to this kind of spiritual realm. And so we take a look at the uh, problems in our life and we seek out these non-spiritual solutions. Uh, let's just take a look at some examples on planet Earth. Homicide, homicide, murder. Uh, Pennsylvania just crept up to be the number two. I'm sorry, Philadelphia just crept up uh, to become the second most dangerous city in America for homicide right behind uh, Chicago. Now, Chicago has like, what, two, three times the population of Pennsylvania. So, pound for pound, we're, we're worse. Pennsylvania or Philadelphia? What's that? Chicago's number one. Philadelphia's number two. Again, they use population. Population, I think, I think you double check on Google, but I think it's like Chicago's like twice the population of Philly. Of Philly or Pennsylvania? Philly, sorry. Oh. So uh, murder is back on its back on its rise again, guys, in Philadelphia. Okay, so look, homicide. So we're like, all right, well, let's get more police. Uh, let's fund our jails. Now I'm going to be honest. I am 100% in supporting the police, and I don't think we should defund the police. I mean, that's kind of silly in my opinion. I do think money should be also added to you know counseling and things like that. Uh, that's not a bad idea. But to defund the police is somewhat silly in my opinion. That's about as political as I'll get from the pulpit. Um, but I want to say this. Look, homicide. You know, we need more police, more jails. Well, how about this, man? It's it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Uh, there's hatred. There's jealousy. And that produces the sin of Cain. That it's a spiritual problem. Now, police and jails and counseling, yeah, it could help. The reality here is that there's a war in the spirit. The spirit of Cain or what was on Cain has raised its head in Philadelphia again. Tell that spirit to get out of my town. We are. Amen. That's spiritual warfare. That's our job. Amen. Drugs, police, rehabilitation. How about you just gotta break the back of false identity and hopelessness? You gotta break that back. Anxiety and depression. Okay, well, in the physical, hey, you should go to counseling. I'm all for counseling. I'll be honest. We all probably should go to counseling. Amen. This isn't like all oh, you go to counseling that was a target back. Nah, as a as a believer, probably we should probably all go to counseling. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yes, it is. Um, but you know, anxiety, oh, we're just going to counseling, we're just going to medication, all that kind of stuff. Come on, man. I'm just going to be real with you. Um, if, if you're going through these things, let's just be honest. Uh, there is an idea. There's someone or something that is tormenting. Now, it's not from God. And if it's not from God, well, it must be from someone or something else. Now, look, I know you like go to the doctor and there may be a chemical imbalance, and I get that. What's causing the chemical imbalance? I'm not saying you have a demon. We just gotta cast it out. But what I am saying here is when we have these imbalances, it's not the way that God has made us. And so there's a, there's a warfare that happens. You come out to a Friday night, let's, let's see some healing take place. And I'm not against medication. And I'm not against counseling at all. At all. Okay? But what I am saying here is too often we seek, as I have there, 
Non-spiritual solutions to very things that are happening in the spirit. Okay? Alright. Um, you know, to kind of bring this in a little bit together to, to touch it back to home, look, 150,000 people a day die in the world. 150,000 a day. How many are going to hell's fire? Of that 150,000. I wouldn't dare try to make a guess right because it's like a place of judgment. I'm going to tell you this there, there is battle. And when people are dying, they're going to a lake of fire if they do not receive the blood of Jesus in their life. And when everyone goes into the lake of fire, if you will, Satan is like, ah, I got another There is a battle, and it's real. We need to waken up, we need to be sober. People that are dying have everlasting torment. But we might say, well, you know, everything in my life is fine. I don't really have much warfare going on. That actually be kind of cool, kind of good, I guess. But if everything's fine in your life, I'm reminded of this, this uh, old tale between a, a samurai master and his, his, his student. And the student goes to the samurai master and says, well, I don't get it. You're always training me for war, or you're always speaking about peace. I don't get it. And the master replies, it is better to be a warrior in a garden than to be a gardener in a war. If you're not in, involved in some type of real spiritual warfare, you know when you are. If you're not, then it is time. It is time to do what? It is time to sharpen the edge to your spiritual blade. Warriors, because you are a soldier in Christ, warriors do not take a day off. They're continually honing their skills, and in the spirit, they're continually honing your, your skills in the spirit, drawing closer to the Lord, sharpening that edge, for when there is a day of reckoning, you can step into it, and, you know, like a double-edged sword, take care of business, right? You know, when you, when you get a really bad announcement from the doctor about your health, that's not the time to be That's not the time to be crying out to now Jesus and get your life in order and get, and get, get, get all spiritual. It's time already came, man. Boot camp was like, you know, the last 40 years of your life, 50 years of your life. Right? we, we got to hone those skills. And if you are honing those skills, you're like, yeah, man, things are still good. That's great. That's awesome. Now what you need to do is you need to enlarge your garden. If you're a warrior in the garden and there seems to be a time of peace and you're sharpening that blade, well, now it's time for you to go out of the garden and take more land Amen. for the kingdom, more influence, spreading the beauty of the Lord. Good. All right, let's talk now. This is where I'm going to lose some of you. If I've lost you already, I'm really going to lose you now. If I haven't lost you yet, cool. I might lose you. I want to be honest, uh, this, this what I'm about to teach, I believe is fervently biblical. It's just not usually what you're taught on a Sunday. Okay? So, we're going to do that. So it's going to be new for some of us, and we'll try to go a little slower. A lot of stuff. You need to hear it. The spiritual realm. Let's talk about the spiritual realm for a moment. Okay? Got an earthly realm, spiritual realm. Okay? All right. What is going on? Well, we know from the text, from the Bible, that a third of the angels fell, right? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. A third
third of the angels left heaven because of their disobedience to worship Satan or Lucifer. They were essentially kicked out or partially kicked out. They still seem to be able to access heaven. Do you see that in the book of Job? We also see in the book of Revelation where at the end of the age it says that Michael the archangel kicked Satan out of heaven forever and then is sent to a lake of fire. So right now it appears Satan and the demonic is allowed to go before the Lord and to essentially have conversation if the Lord wants. It's very clear in Job. Okay? And in Revelation, he's kicked out forever. I don't know what that's like because obviously we're not there. Where would a case be, right? A third of the angels fell from heaven, and this at them, I mean, these are important questions. Like, one is where did they go? It's like, well, if a third of the angels left heaven, like, so where did they go? The second question is, well, what do they do now? I mean, they used to be in heaven, they used to be worshiping the king of kings. Now they don't do that. So where are they? And what do they do? All right. What do they do? Start backwards. What do they do? Well, the demonic realm, the angels that were in heaven, they know the end of the story, right? They know that they're already defeated. They know that they are, they're done. They know that Jesus is victorious. They know what their end game is, and that is complete annihilation. They know it. So what do they do? They're going to now take as many people down with them as possible. Right? I mean, like, if we're going to be in misery, it's going to be great to take God's creation and bring them into misery as well. So they are essentially looking to bring as many people with them as possible. Another thing they do, we know from the scriptures, they attempt to tempt us. It says that they accuse us. They're the accuser of the brethren. And so, I mean, yeah, he's a liar. He looks for destruction. He's looking to just make some people's lives a living hell, literally. But obviously, with Jesus, uh, we don't have to be tormented that way. Amen? Amen. So, that's kind of what they're doing. Well, where did they go? And I think this is really where we get into a little bit more of the understanding of spiritual warfare. Where did they go? Follow me here. Write down the scripture verses in case you don't believe me. Genesis chapter 10 is known as the table of nations. This is with Noah's flood and the ending of Noah's flood and, and essentially the nations go out and the power of Babel. What happens here is an articulation of the setting up of the world after the flood. And after Babylon. And if you take a look at the nations that are formed, there are 70 nations that are dictated that are formed after Noah. Okay? Also in the scripture, 63 times, demonic high places and demonic habitations are mentioned. 63 times in the Bible, God articulates that this Demonic realm has certain places where they've set themselves up. Okay? Let's take a look at uh, Psalm 82. Psalms 82, verses 1 to 2. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. 
How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So what we see here is these lowercase g's, which is the demonic, they exist. In fact, God says he, Yahweh, he judges among them. He's above them. Verse 6 through 8, I said, you are gods and all of your children most high, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Right here we have articulation that the people that he is speaking to, really I have most scholars say like the demonic realm of fallen angels, that you are gods and your children most high, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Now, those of you who really read your Bible here, fall like one of the princes should like let something go in your brain. Oh, a prince. Hmm. Let's hold on to that. Actually, no, I'll, I'll just jump to it. For those of you that are, are, are not picking up on it. Uh, Daniel chapter 10 through chapter 11. Right? Daniel is fasting and praying and interceding. He's waiting for the Lord to show up. He's waiting for something to happen. And then who shows up? Michael the archangel. He says, I have been delayed. Michael, the highest ranking angel in heaven has been delayed. He could not do the will of God because who's there? The prince of Persia. You shall fall like one of the princes. Go on to read in Daniel. There's a prince of Persia and there's a prince of Greece. And they were able to detain the highest ranking angel in heaven. We have a prince of Persia. He is part of the demonic that had the authority over the area of Persia. There was another angel, a principality, that had dominion over Greece. And they're so strong that they keep the highest ranking angel from coming to Babylon. Michael the archangel was detained. That's like serious stuff, which we forget about in reading the scriptures. All right, a little bit more about where did they go? So I would argue, and biblical scholars argue, right? The, the angels fell, and they set up an administrative kind of plan and, on, on planet Earth, and they govern certain regions, Persia, Greece, and other places. There's one nation that was not governed by a prince, but was governed by the king. They would know that nation. Israel. Israel is mine. And the rest of the nations he's given. I want to say it again. Israel has is his and always was his. And the rest of the nations, until Jesus returned, it says in the scripture that to some extent, these principalities have some type of administration. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. I told you we're going to really get into this. And don't worry, there's, there's, a, there's a result, right? Because Jesus comes. We need to understand how this all operates. Deuteronomy 37, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 7 says, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. I know you guys think, I'm like, what is this? I'm telling you, man, I got a master's degree from Hebrew University in biblical thought and philosophy. I'm telling you, this is the way it works. I'm going to throw a little, a little resume out there. Okay? <laughs> Isn't Joe Schmo on his online clergy degree here? Okay? 
Just being real. Sorry to boast, but the boast of Jesus, as Paul said. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations. What we have here in Deuteronomy 32 is the articulation that El Elyon, the Most High God, divided the nations in accordance to certain inheritance. And he did it when he separated the sons of Adam. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Well, who is he giving this inheritance to? Who is he giving? He says he has created boundaries. Now, there's a problem here, and I'm sorry if this, 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 you don't like this. You can talk to me later. Most biblical scholars say that there is a grammatical spelling error here. But we keep it because the King James kept it because they didn't know. The word of God is sovereign. Okay? Absolutely. The word of God is without fault. I'm just going to be real with you. For thousands of years, it was hand copied. Sometimes there's a punctuation off. Right? Sometimes there's a one letter missing that throws off what the meaning may actually be. Well, thank the Lord that we have older copies of the manuscripts. We have the Septuagint, which was the earliest translation from Hebrew into another language. It was the Greek. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is transcripts of the Bible found in the Dead Sea of Israel that are 2,000 years old. And so much of it is exactly the same, but there's a couple things where the words are actually different. Please don't call our denominational head over this. <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, 7, 9 says in the, sorry, 7, 8, in the King James, in every translation you have, says that he divided the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. The only problem is the oldest transcripts that we have says that he divided the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the B'nai Elohim. B'nai Elohim. The sons of God. Now, the sons of God. Now, notice Jesus always refers to him as the son of man. Making differentiation to, to the Older Testament understanding of who the sons of God were. We have other times when the sons of God are mentioned. One of the biggest times is in Genesis with the times of Noah. Right before Noah's flood, what happened? The sons of God come to earth and cohabitate with the daughters of men. And it says, and then there were mighty men on earth. These kind of demagogues. I tell you, you don't get this on Sunday, right? You don't get this. I'm just telling you. B'nai Elohim in the oldest translation. So what would that reading possibly be? That reading would possibly be is that the Lord set up boundaries in his sovereignty, set up authority of jurisdiction temporarily to some of the third of the angels. Now that would make sense because you can't just build theology and understand all the one scripture. That would make sense when we take a look at things like a prince of Persia, a prince of Greece. It makes sense. Okay? All right. It also makes sense because when we take a look at Luke chapter 10, for the sake of time, I won't read it. Luke chapter 10, he takes a certain number of disciples and sends them out into the world. Does anyone know the number that he sends out? 70. Hmm. Why would Jesus send out 70 disciples? 
And they returned back and they said, even the demons and the principalities know your name. And you have authority over them. Jesus says, I know. It's not 50 that he sends out. It's not 100. He sends out 70. It's, it's showing the circle of things that the demonic had control before Jesus over the 70 nations. But Jesus sends out his disciples to take that authority back. Not to 20, not to 100, but to 70. Because that's the way that he split up the nations after the time of Noah. Get it? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is why we had difficulty in worship today. When you lay this out, man, start getting into the, when you understand the demonic, well, why do we have to understand the demonic? Come on, man. The art of war, Sun Tzu, right? Know thy enemy so you can defeat them. Yeah. Know the plans of your enemy. Worship's way falling down. It's probably a, a seventh inning stretch business, but I, I need a little, we need a little mojo here. My fingers are sticking. Here we go. Alright, let's you know let, let's get some good theology here so we can better understand all of this because you know we're we're missing a piece here. Now we have Jesus, so it's like right, what's going on? Remember, I said this is not to scare you, this is to sober you up. I, I'm just being honest. I, I think that there's probably some kind of demonic jurisdiction over the United States of America. And over Philadelphia. You just you drive into certain communities and you're like, whoa, what just happened? If you're tuned to the spirit, you feel it. You ever walk into a house and you're like, Ooh. interact with someone and you're like, whoa, something's off. What is that? What is that? It's not God. All right, let's bring it to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. I was just beginning verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Boom, right there, New Testament. New Testament. You who are now believers used to, used to follow who? The prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience. The modern realm. You used to follow them, but now no longer because you are a new creation. Amen. Colossians 2. Is everything alright? Because Jose is not here and he's usually like, Amen, brother. Is everything alright right now? Come on. Because this is this is this is not like necessarily Christianity 101. This is like, what? Benayalo, he wants Septuagint? What? What? The demonic? But I need to do it. Because you need to be sober. We need to be sober and vigilant. Kick out some bills. Colossians 2, I read it during worship. Verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now here we go, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers. 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. I am not afraid of principalities. I'm not afraid of the demonic. Because Jesus made them a public mockery. Now, I know biblical order, and there's a whole other lesson. I'm not going to start praying for the removal of the principality over the United States. It may not go so well. I mean, if Michael the Archangel was detained, the heck would happen to me? That's a whole other thing. But I wanted to throw that out there. Basic elements to what's going on here, it's this. Jesus defeated Satan. Amen? But Satan and his principalities appear, appear to be allowed to have some level of power on earth. And if you're like, no, that can't be true, but open a window and look at the world. Yeah, things are getting better in certain communities. When the sons and daughters are made manifest, when the sons and daughters take back the land, when the sons and daughters bring the kingdom of God, then yes. But if we're not there, who's there? The enemy. Spiritual warfare in summary, or as a definition, is essentially this. As children of God, we remind, we remind the spiritual realm that they are defeated. We partner with the heavenly hosts to take back the land that has been given to us. Spiritual warfare is both internal and external. Spiritual warfare is internal and external. What I deal with and what Philadelphia as a community is dealing with. Internal. Satan's only power comes, is he, is he defeated? Yes. He's defeated. So Satan's only power comes when we submit our mind to his lies. Instead of, instead of submitting our minds to what God says about them. So if we submit our mind to what Satan says, that's where you're going to see, you're going to see the, the warfare. But if I submit my mind to what God says, now I'm enacting and I'm declaring that the war has been won. Internal spiritual warfare is a battle over what you believe. For what you believe will be the perceived reality. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. Now you're going to feel like you're not worthy. No one likes me. Now you're going to portray that. That's right. I'm, I'm just an angry person. All these bad things happen to me. You're going to portray that. When you adopt the mind of Christ, you walk by the Spirit of God. Amen. External spiritual warfare. He, Satan is only has an apparent temporary victory. And he only has it if we, the church, give him that right. Come on, man. Did we not just learn? You are a farmer. What we need to do is we need to expand the garden. We need to take the Eden that Christ has given to us and take it to Bristol and to take it to Philadelphia and remind the demonic that this land is the Lord's because we are here and the Spirit of God resides the Son of Man. That's the external. That's walking it out. So how, in closing up, kind of, sort of, how do we do this? There are some spiritual truths that I have wrestled with and that I have gained going through fire. Going through adversity. Going through difficulty. 
not reading this from a textbook. This is going through stuff. So I'm going to save a lot of your energy right here. If you can adopt this and grab it. Spiritual truths to operate in taking the land that the Lord has given you and taking it away from the enemy, whether internally or externally. One very important thing is right off the bat is you need to know who you are. As it's been said, 85% of spiritual warfare is knowing Christ and knowing who you are in him. What does the word say? You are not a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. More than. You are the righteousness of God. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are a demon slayer, man. You are called to cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead. That is who you are. We need to believe it. We have authority by the blood of Jesus. That's why we were declaring that. We have authority by the blood of Jesus. Sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. Like you need to know, man. You're not just like a Christian. You are a son and daughter of God who's in the army of God. And the war has already been won. But we are learning the tactics for the end of the age when you'll be set up as priests and kings. You gotta know who you are. You gotta meditate on that. You gotta read why what, what's up. Uh, we like to get you copies of the Father's Love Letter again. We did that a long time ago. You gotta meditate, man, on what Jesus says about you. That's right. Amen. He loves you, but I'm his favorite. Amen. And he loves me, but you're his favorite. Yes. Amen. Second principle. We need to move in the opposite spirit. Satan, you gotta know, you gotta know your enemy. You gotta know thy enemy. You gotta believe in Satan again. Satan comes to you with the same tricks. Has it always been? And when he comes at you with certain things, you need to respond in the opposite manner. You need to take that energy and let it deflect off of you. When he comes after you with anxiety, you respond with peace. When it comes with you with hate, you respond with love. When it comes with you with difficulty, you respond with long-suffering. When someone you know comes up to you and says things about you and criticizes you and hurts you, you respond with love. Because by moving in the opposite spirit, you disarm the spirit that has been sent to try to upset you. Now, how does that work? Because when we love our enemies, when we pray for our enemies, we are no longer playing on the devil's playing ground. That's a hard one to learn, man. I'm telling you, I'm saving you a lot of time. I'm saving you a lot of difficulty. Is it right if I just go a little longer? I was prepping this last last night I was finishing these up and I just felt the Lord had me bring this in. First John chapter 2 16 for all that is in the world for all that is in the world all that is in the world all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world Galatians 5.16 Then I say then when we walk in the spirit And then you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh 
I don't know who this is for. I don't know what's going on. I really don't. I don't know your stuff. But I felt the Lord very strongly on this. We need to understand what the lust of the flesh is. We hear lust, we think of sexual sin. We think of, oh, the, the men are looking at pornography, or the men have adulterous views. Well, women do as well, and women look at pornography as well. And it's such a stigma. I'm just gonna be real with you. Pornography is of the devil. It is disgusting. It is horrible. But in the church, the statistics are ridiculous. I think the last part was 70% of Christian males struggle with pornography. And if that comes out in your family, oh, you know, there's gonna be a long road ahead. So most men is hot. I just won't let my wife know. I won't let my brothers know because you're such a stigma. You're such a thing. It's wrong. It's bad. It's against the word of God. But that's not the only lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is anytime the carnal is raised up. Anytime the flesh is raised up. And so maybe some more classical things that women deal with. Fear, lust of the flesh. Anxiety, lust of the flesh. Worry, lust of the flesh. Not submitting to your husband in love. Lust of the flesh. Your pride of life is raised up. And not one is greater than the other. It's sin before the Lord. But there's such stigma on the pornography. It's disgusting. It's horrible. So also is walking in every other pride of life. And Jesus says, It's of the world. It's of the world. It's of the world. So when that world comes to you, operate the opposite spirit. How do we do that? It's really a brilliant teaching, not mine, on the notion of the serpent line. What we have here is this. It's a physical truth that teaches us a spiritual there is a certain elevation whereby, whereby snakes cannot live. The barometric pressure is, is too whatever, too much. It's too cold. So a rattlesnake or any snake cannot live above a certain elevation. It is physically impossible. And so what we have here is in the spirit, we need to get a place where we climb the mountain of the Lord and we live in a place that is of such spiritual elevation that the enemy can no longer go. Amen. This is a spiritual truth in spiritual warfare. Living in a place that the serpent can't get to. Yeah. Amen. Well, how do we do that? Not going to like it. It is what it is. Fasting. Fasting. Not like I fast talk, I'm fasting. Like you are committed to a, some kind of fast. Fasting places the mind, body, soul into a spiritual realm. If you want to defeat devils in your life, if you want to defeat devils in your family, if you want to defeat devils in, in your community, you need to first break the back of your own flesh and draw close to God through a, a time of fasting. If you, I'm just being, being real. If you do not fast, you cannot be a devil slayer. You cannot be a demon kicker out. Jesus makes this clear. He sends out the disciples, they come back and they get all beat up. 
So, oh yeah, oh yeah, by the way, those types of demons, you have to fast. Like, we need to come into a place to bring us to this place to, uh, above the circle line. Number two is prayer. Spiritual warfare and getting above the serpent line in your life and for your community. It's not just fasting and peeling back the flesh. It's also prayer. Prayer, Hebrew is tefillah, meaning binding. It's more than a discussion with God, people. It's binding your thoughts to his thoughts. Your will be done. Not a laundry list of what you want. Binding in prayer. Discussions with the Lord. Right? Prayers of a righteous man availeth much, it says in James. A third one, worship. Worship. Now, worship is when we take our mind and we submit it to the things of God. I don't know if you've ever come into a family member or a believer that really just have a rebellious, to be honest, they just have a rebellious spirit. They're like, hey man, we gotta go to church so we can worship. Like, oh, I worship at work. I worship through my work and I worship through my journaling. And I worship through my life. And I worship through loving people. You're right. That is worship. The problem here is God does not inhabit the worship of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. You can go and live your life as an act of worship. But to act in praise is different. It's a whole other teaching. Seven Hebrew words of praise. Psalm 22, 3 says, He inhabits the praises of His people, and His people will be victorious in it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see the story of Jehoshaphat sending out Judah. He says, Stand still, and you shall see the salvation of the Lord thy God. And when they're going to take the land, they do not send out the army. He sends out a different army. Those who will sing praises of God. Not worship God. Sing praises to God. Because singing praises is shouting. Singing praises is dancing and raising hands. See, in spiritual warfare, we need to worship. We need to pray. And we need to fast what we need to do. from the earth, guys. We fight them from heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. This is Paul speaking actually about himself. In the spiritual realm, there are different levels of the heavens. The first level is the sky, that which you see earthly atmosphere. 
The second level is the place of principalities and powers, the demonic realm, right? The Michael, the archangel, all that kind of stuff. And at the tippy top, the third heaven is the actual throne room of God. And I'm going to tell you right now is that many of us do not have victory in our life and do not have victory in your communities because you fight in the wrong realm. Ephesians says that we are able to have inheritance in heavenly places. Inheritance already in heavenly places. I'm just telling you right now, in, in warfare and fight, if you try to fight with people in your community but with just an earthy atmosphere, it's not going to go anywhere. I'm going to tell you right now, many of us just try to declare prayer, declare, declare, make declarations in, against principalities and powers, and your life is probably a mess. You're not going to see any victory. How come this isn't happening? How come we can't take the land? It's because we're going after the wrong realm. We have to go to the throne room of God, where our inheritance is, where Jesus does the work for us, not us doing it. It's a place where we intercede. It's a place where we pray. It's a place where we not just worship. It's a place where we praise the Lord, where we connect with Him so He can send out His armies. But people don't want to do that. Because we just want to receive from the Lord and soak in worship. The Lord wants us to praise His name. To kick out the enemies of God. To enlarge the garden. We do that through fasting, through prayer, praise. Come on, let's rise. I know it was a lot. I can tell by your glances. Spoiler alert, I'm a high school teacher. I pick up on like every little body knife. So I know. Well, I will not feel offended in going, but I, I feel the Lord really wants to release an element of spiritual warfare in this midst. I believe we need to incorporate the heirloom seed. We need to get busy in the work of the Lord. Amen. We can't just sit here and say, love me, love me, love me, Jesus. It's awesome, it's good, but we need to go back and be like, it's time to take back the land that God has given me. Amen. I'm tired of the devil. I'm tired of the devil in my family. I'm tired of the demons in my town. I'm sick and tired of it. Be sober. Be vigilant. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered in Philadelphia. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered in Bristol and Bucks County and Levittown and Burlington. Pianos, 
come before you as a church. And we want to be a church that is on the cutting edge of things. And the irony is the cutting edge of things is going back to the ancient paths. Lord, let us be a people who just we don't just worship you. We don't just receive, but we partner with you in heavenly places. We praise the name of the Lord so that his armies and Adonai's name of the Lord God of heaven's armies would release his angels. Release his angels to defeat murder, to defeat drugs and jealousy and hatred for the kingdom of God to reside on Fire! 